need to feed my spirit. I was once looking. You are a spectre from the gods. Walk with me. All right, you're listening to Wait You Were Mormon with Devin Brown. I'm your host, Devin Brown. And for episode 24, we've got the very lovely Thomas Palmer. He opens up about his conversion in college, a mission to France, and how the Anglican Church ultimately brought him peace during his faith crisis. I think you guys will enjoy some of the things he has to share. Once again, if you haven't already, please be sure to check out www.waityourmormon.com for access to all of the previous episodes as well as all of my social links. While you're there, why not share a favorite episode with a family member or friend? It would be greatly appreciated. But enough of me. Enjoy the episode. We can just jump into it. Uh, who are you and where sure. are you from? What's your background? Well, I am, uh, I am. My name is Thomas Palmer, and I live in a small town about an hour north of Columbus, Ohio. I am uh, an attorney. I've been practicing law for over 20 years. I'm also an elected official in, in the town in which I live. I have a lot of different hats. In addition to uh, my law practice, I'm also the executive director of a statewide nonprofit organization. And I'm also a news publisher. I have a news and information website, two of them, one that covers Richland County, Ohio, and one that covers Delaware County, Ohio. And I've been doing that for about four years now. And then in addition to all of that, Normally, this has stopped now with COVID, but normally I'm also a church organist, uh, and I've been a church organist for a couple decades. Uh, And uh, the reason I say it stopped is that in-person services have stopped for the most part Mm. in mainline denominations in this part of the world. And so uh, I haven't had a chance to play, but I've been playing uh, the organ at the church that I'm at for about eight years now. So it's it's something i enjoy i've been a musician for uh, or a lover of music for my whole life i'm a former member of the house to university marching band for instance and and uh was in the marching band at other university and another university in ohio so that's kind of me i'm a, i'm a dad i love my kids i have two kids they're adults now uh i lost my wife when the kids were really young uh, my daughter was just four years old uh, and then I raised them on my own because I've never remarried. So that's kind of my story. That's where I'm at. That's a little bit about myself. Yeah. Um, where does the uh, the church fit into all this? Because some people might be surprised to hear you say you're a church organist. Um, yeah, yeah. Is that in the LDS Well, yeah, to show you how... Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Well, no, that's cool, Devin. Uh, it's kind of funny you mentioned that about how the church fits in. This last May... I went out to Utah for the first time in dec- in a couple decades and uh, had a sort of mini mission reunion with some former companions and fellow uh, apartment dwellers. And through a friend of a friend, I got a chance to play the tabernacle organ, oh. uh, which was a fantastic experience, and I would recommend it to anybody. I had a blast. Uh, but uh, my church uh, experience started when I was 20 years old. 
I was a junior at Bowling Green State University, which is up near Toledo. And I uh, happened to uh, be reading one day a, a book in a library. It was about the LDS Church, and uh, it was really interesting to me, kind of hit me, and I started reading all the books I could on it, and eventually got so interested, I contacted the local bishop. He contacted the missionaries. They went, came into my dorm room and, and gave me uh, the first couple, three lessons, started going to church, and I was baptized just about a month ago in my junior year. So uh, I, uh, I joined the church then, came home because the semester ended. Uh, at that time, I don't know what it is now, but at that time you weren't able to go on a mission for a year mm -hmm. after you joined the church. Um, but I expressed an interest in doing that. I think the year isn't necessarily to go on a mission the year was to be able to go through the temple, which was a prerequisite of going on a mission. So I, I worked for that year, uh, put in my paperwork the next summer, and then was called on a mission and got my call late August, September, something like that, and went into the MTC a week before Christmas, a week to the day before Christmas. So, so I served a full mission, and uh, that's my churchness and uh i was in the church for a few years uh and then eventually ended up uh going a different way do you remember uh the title of that first initial book that kind of piqued your interest yeah i do it's funny you mentioned that Devin, uh because i just did a facebook post on this about ah. three or four months ago it's called meet the mormons it's basically a picture book of all things but uh it just piqued my interest and I started reading the entire shelf of books, and one of the books I read was one of the really well-known first critical biographies of Joseph Smith, which is called No Man Knows My History by Fawn Brody. And instead of driving me away from the church, it really fueled my interest because I thought this man was so charismatic and so captivating that it, 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 this entire book could be written about the enigma that he was. I need to know more. So that's, you know, that's part of it. That's interesting. Um, and then where were you called on the, on the mission? Well, I was called to the France Paris mission, oh. which is uh, a fellow France Paris returned missionary is Mitt Romney, who's mm -hmm. been in the news in the last 48 hours. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, uh, proud of that. He was there many years before me, but uh that uh, that's where I was called, and actually, Devin, I tell you, if I had had the chance to pick a mission at that time, that's where I would have gone. That's what I would have chosen. I don't know what would happen if I had been called to a stateside mission or mm. a, another area. But I I spoke French. I mean, I had taken high school and college mm. French. Love the culture. I thought I did. So that's I was excited. Mm. Um, what, uh, what were the French like at that time? Cause I know it's a very difficult mission. Just Europe in general can be very difficult. Were they, yeah. were they more receptive at that time or was it a difficult mission? Well, I don't know what it's like now, so it's hard to tell you if mm. they're more difficult then. It was difficult. Let me just tell you. Mm. Um, uh, I love the French people. Uh, it was it was a challenge. Uh, 
the French uh, people that I would meet tracting, because back then that's what we did 90% of was door to door, were wonderful, but but not terribly interested. Mm-hmm. Uh, many of them were Catholics, but they would, you would introduce yourself, you know, I'm a missionary of the Church of Christ, Saturday Saints, and they would respond by saying that, you, that they were a non-practicing Catholic, mm-hmm. uh, which meant they were culturally a Catholic, but not necessarily uh, a believing Catholic. And in fact, sometimes they would say, je suis catholique non croyant, which means I'm a Catholic, but I don't believe in God. So, how do you yeah, how do you address yeah, that yeah. one? <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, I I gave it I gave it my all at the beginning, especially. I love the MTC. The MTC was fantastic. You know, I although I will tell you, I was, uh, you know, as I said, it was the last month of my junior year, and when I came home, I came home to the same little town I live in now. Our branch had about 20 people in sacrament meetings. There weren't any kids. So when I went to the MTC, I got exposed to Utah to begin with. Mm-hmm. Uh, got there a couple of days early to like get my garments and go through the temple and stuff. And then I went to the MTC and I kept hearing all of this terminology I had never heard before uh, about seminary and institutes. And, and I just didn't know what this stuff was. Mm-hmm. So I felt kind of like a fish out of water. But... I really gravitated to learning French and the discussions, and so I, I think it was fairly well prepared actually when I got there. Mm-hmm. My first apartment was the zone leader's apartment uh, with six missionaries, so you kind of had to be on your toes anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, luckily, there were ZLs that were really nice and chill, but still, mm-hmm. you had to really be careful. Yeah. Did you ever have any um, problem companions or anything like that? During my entire mission? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had I had one companion that threw me in a bathtub once. Uh, he, I say throw me in a bathtub, he actually like pushed me into the bathtub. But he was uh, upset with me because he didn't think I was zealous enough and mm. righteous enough and uh, uh, I wasn't I was a senior companion by this time, and I wasn't allowing him to thrive in what he wanted to do. But that's about the worst of it. There were some issues in my apartments, but not with my companions. At one point, I was living about 15 miles south of Paris. Uh, in the middle of the night, one of the one of the senior companions and the other companionships. Um, stole all of our lunch or all of our food money for the week and went into Paris to the red light district to you know do whatever he, he chose to do we never found out the specifics of this <laughs> and he got one of those one way tickets home on his tab i mean the church doesn't pick up that bill mm. like you said though it was it was a difficult mission you would teach a handful of lessons uh, discussions a week uh, most most missionaries got a handful of baptisms during their mission. Um, I did, um, but uh, there were never uh, there was never a deluge of uh, of investigators at any time. Mm. Um, but the the members were sweet and wonderful. Mm. Had fantastic times. I'm still friends with a mother and son 
uh, from my days in France. Uh, they're Facebook friends of mine, mm. and uh, really just great people. Mm. Um, did France <clears throat> meet your expectations? I know you were hopeful to go. Well, you know, it it did. One of the things about the language was, I don't know, you went to Ghana, right? Is That's that right. what you said? Mm-hmm. Um, and naive me, I don't know what they speak in Ghana. But uh, when you're in the MTC, you think you're fluent in French mm-hmm. or fluent in a language. I remember getting off the plane at Chardigal Airport in Paris and hearing French spoken over the loudspeaker of the public address system. I had no idea what they were saying. And I immediately got tense and thought, I can never handle this. This isn't going to work. Um, but over time, it, it was better. The, one of the things I learned in, in France, not a church-related lesson, but actually another life lesson, was what I refer to as cultural relativism, is the sense that other cultures can live their lives in wholesome and wonderful ways, and they don't live and breathe American things, but they have a purely and totally valid uh, way of living. And uh, the French people, some of them were American friends of Americans in America, particularly those in the church. Uh, but outside of that, there were many people that we met that were hostile mm-hmm. uh, towards all things to do with the United States and us as young uh, Americans, you know, they kind of had an awareness of the Mormon church, but just vaguely. Uh, but they knew us as Americans, young Americans. And sometimes that worked well. Sometimes it was a real hindrance. Uh, we weren't allowed to, and I think this is probably pretty common, no matter what mission you're in, we weren't allowed to uh, listen to uh, uh, radio or watch French TV. Now, did we do that? Of course, like, <laughs> like, like you do, but uh, not a lot. But we were limited to Marbury Tabernacle Choir or classical music or uh, tapes of General Authorities, uh, whatever it happened to be that some somebody in the apartment had. Uh, so I never really got to indulge in the culture much, except for food, maybe, mm-hmm. because the the members, I was in some places that, I mean, I was in Paris, for heaven's sake, so, mm-hmm. you know, the food was fantastic. Then, during the last handful of months of my mission, our mission had absorbed another mission which had just closed, the France-Toulouse mission, and I was one of those selected by the president to go and bring sort of the way you, French purse missionaries did things down to mm-hmm. southwest France. And I spent the last few months in Bordeaux, mm-hmm. so I get to be in wine country, uh, which was beautiful. But it's kind of odd being in wine country, some of the best vineyards in the world, and not being able to drink. Mm-hmm. And I was I was good about that. I never, never indulged in that. But we did, I will admit, going through uh, on hot afternoons and you're driving, you're riding bikes through beautiful vineyards, stopping and grabbing some grapes and, you know, that we did. 
<laughs> I mean that that's pretty cool. It sounds like uh, yeah. your your French is still pretty sharp. Are you are you using it on a regular basis? You said you were in contact with um, some people still. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do I do use my French a lot. Plus, with you know, this was the days before the internet, uh, and now that I have access to French TV and French radio and. Uh, I really watch a lot of it, and, and, and my comprehension is probably better now than it was when I was there. I remember at a point about halfway through my mission when I realized that I was dreaming in French. That's a really strange sensation. And on very limited occasion, it used to happen a lot, but still, once in a while, I can... Uh, I'll get to a point where I want to say something, and the only word I can think of is in French, uh, and I have to like translate in my head. So, yeah, I suppose I tried to keep up with it. Uh, when I went out last May, and I got a chance to, to play the Tabernacle organ, I we had this little mini reunion in downtown Salt Lake. Uh, all lifelong friends of mine that I met on my mission, uh, and. With one exception, I probably have seven or eight good friends from my mission still. And with one exception, they're all still strong members of the church. They know, all of them know that I'm not. All of them know that I'm an Episcopalian. But let me tell you, when you get with them and meet with them and talk with them, that is completely irrelevant to them. I mean, they would prefer to see me come back, I know, but uh, and one of them, I believe, is the state president, so, you know, he's really active. Uh, I still, you know, I, 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 I think I was talking about the level of French, you know, it's not only the level of French, but uh, all things related to the church, I never get a chance to talk to LDS people anymore, for the most part. There are no LDS uh, families that I know of in my town here, even though we have a ward. Huh. And uh, I do, I will tell you, I don't know how you are, but if I see a pair of missionaries walking down the street, female or male, I will go up to them. I will seek them out and say, welcome to my town. If you ever need anything, I'm here. Contact me. Um, I don't want to be converted, but... I still respect you. I know what you're doing. Please reach out if you if I can be of help to you in any way. Uh-huh. I might. I'm digressing. I know. Oh no. Um, I'm never disrespectful to to anyone. Um, I wouldn't yeah. say I seek out the missionaries though. Um, just because. Okay. I, just because I just don't know if I tr- fully believe that they will. You know, they probably would want to just hang out, but I don't even really just want to hang out with them. You know what I mean? No, yeah, sure, I know what you mean. Yeah, I don't want to hang out with him either, Devin. But it's like <laughs> I just want to be nice. Yeah, yeah. You know, but, I want to be you know cordial. And, mm-hmm. But I'll, so, but uh, I'll wait. But knowing missionaries, yeah. they'll want to come and like watch movies at my place sometimes or something. Yeah. I just don't have that kind of spare time for them. You know. <laughs> but uh, do you have any? Uh, okay. It sounds like there were a lot of great experiences for you on the mission. Do you have any regrets about having gone? Well, you know, it was two years of my life, mm-hmm. and having left the church in a matter of years after I went on my mission, I 
did at some points after that think, why did I waste two years of my life? It wasn't two years, too. It was the strangest thing. While I was on my mission, the church announced that they were going to go back to 18-month missions. And then about three months later, they changed their minds. Believe it or not, the church can change its mind on things once in a while, uh, especially on policy, things like that. And I was caught in, and they allowed us to, to pick a time that how long we would be out, and I picked 22 months, so I say two years, but it was pretty close. Um, but regrets, not really. Other than that idea, and it delayed my start in the world, it... It was a place where I overcame my shyness that I had. Um, I learned to associate with and work with different kinds of people. Um, I got to live in France for two years for cheap. And, you know, let's just face it. Um, I got to go visit things in Paris, and I wouldn't possibly not get to do that, certainly not for extended periods of time any other way. So it was hard to... Hard to uh, fault that. Um, yeah, so I, I don't think it was. I I think it was, as I said to you, I th uh, it was, I was worried about my ability to be real. Well, I told you about the guy that was upset what wasn't zealous enough. Mm -hmm. I think that sometimes I wasn't as... Uh, uh, Oh. Hello. And that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Okay. Look at oh. the yeah. The vocals cut out there for about twenty yeah. seconds there. Okay. Um, the last thing you had said. Oh man. I'm sure it was riveting. Yeah, I was. Uh, I was catching the. <laughs> I was catching the time there, so I could go back, but um. You know, before kind of moving into like what made you transition out of the church and into right. uh, Episcopalianism, um, I'm curious, which do you prefer, um, Paris, that area of France, or the Bordeaux Southwest portion? What a great question. They both have things to recommend themselves. Uh, Paris probably has more, it's not more history but more of it, I guess I would say. Paris is a larger community. Uh, I mean, there's some major world events that have taken place in Paris or uh, in which, you know, I mean, that's where France, I mean, that's the capital of France. Bordeaux is, has a significant history, has gorgeous architecture, it's a wonderful place, but you do get this sense of being out of the, out of the capital and more in the countryside, if you will. But Bordeaux is so gorgeous, and it's and it's uh, so close to the the ocean. And mm -hmm. uh, we would go to these small wine towns, and and uh, so I don't know. I don't know what to Devin, tell you, Devin. Uh, they're both great. Mm. They're both great. I'm I'm, I'm picturing uh, myself in Bordeaux right now. I'm kind of jealous Are of you? your experience. I'm like, I just see myself on a bike or something, grabbing those grapes. It's sunny and things are golden yeah. and it's not the gray Ohio that's outside of my house right now. No, it was blue and wonderful because I was there and 
in like August and September. And I mean, then the sun would shine and, and uh, you're right about the blue skies. I mean, I don't remember bad weather in Bordeaux. I remember bad weather in Paris, but, um, and then for part of my mission, I was in a little town in Western France called Le Mans. Mm -hmm. And that was the, the most tumultuous and wonderful and difficult four months of my entire mission were spent in that little town. Um, what made it that so, was right in the uh, middle of my mission. What made it so tumultuous? Well, it's funny enough that the, the missionaries I went out to meet and talk with last year, uh, all, all but one of those people is, are from Le Mans. I mean, that's where I met them. Uh, it's the craziest thing. I, I was transferred to Le Mans on the, on the train. And in those days you went on by yourself because it was long distance. And so, you know, you're told you're not supposed to be by yourself, but I traveled on the train by myself from Paris to Le Mans. And right before I was to get off, I had what I have always sort of described as the only real spiritual experience I've ever had in my life. Uh, I heard a voice, and I don't mean that in a metaphysical way, but um, an incredibly strong prompting not to get off the train. Uh, but I chose to do it anyway. I got off the train in Le Mans. There was no one there to greet me. The The team that was coming, the, the companionship that was coming to get me wasn't there. Uh, and it, that just sort of set the tone. <clears throat> wonderful, wonderful members small very small branch in Le Mans at the time uh but this is where i mentioned before about the the gen the uh, companion that thought i wasn't being uh, good enough in what i was doing and uh there were some other issues there that kind of manifested themselves and and then there was this this uh period there where we had issues with a couple members and the president of the mission actually had to come out and sit with us and talk to us about, I, I don't know if you know anything about this, but the France Paris mission, it's been around for a long time, long, long time. And in the 1960s, I think it was, there was a period where they had a uh, problem with uh, missionaries and sister missionaries who would be, engaged in a, inappropriate activity, let's just say. Um, and it's very well known in the church, very well documented. And apparently one of the centers for this was Le Mans. So when our mission president found out that things were not going well there, he came out specifically and told us about this. Uh, so like I just said, it was a tumultuous time. It was four months that really defined my mission. Uh, and then the time in Bordeaux was just spectacular and fun and, you know, there you go. Yeah, that's interesting. So you had uh, what you said was probably one of the only like spiritual experiences up to that point. Um, yeah. So after your experience in France, how do you find yourself separating from the church? Well, when I came home from my mission, I came home to a place I had never been because my folks, my parents had moved. They had moved from the town in Ohio where I currently live and they had moved to San Antonio, Texas. Oh. So I came home to San Antonio, never having lived in San Antonio. Uh, I was active for the two years I lived in San Antonio. Oh. I taught 
the Aaronic Priesthood class and, you know, did some other things. I was pretty active there, but at the end of that two years, I decided I wanted to move to Salt Lake City, uh, both to finish my undergraduate degree, because you, you might remember I said I had joined the church as a junior. Uh -huh. Well, that had stopped my education. So I wanted to finish my undergraduate degree. A former companion of mine had offered to let me move in and we could share you know, the expenses. That was an opportunity. So I packed all of the things I owned into my 1966 baby blue Mustang and drove all the way from San Antonio to Salt Lake City in about a day and a half. And I was there for the next five years. Uh, and I started dating a sister missionary I knew in Bordeaux. Uh, and I went to a singles ward. I don't know if you've been to a singles ward. Oh, yeah. But, oh, you have? Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, they're really unique things. <laughs> So I went to a singles ward about two or three times, and I was dealing with a couple of personal issues. I was dealing with a crisis of faith more than just the church. I was uh, a crisis of, do I believe in God still? Do I, you know, I was being exposed. I'd started school by this time. I was being exposed to, you know, some uh, philosophy and some other concepts of, of uh living one's life and believing what one believes. Uh, and over time, I just started drifting away. And I never went back uh, after the uh, the single ward experience. I have never, ever asked to be excommunicated or disfellowshipped. I've never received anything from the church indicating that they were going to do that. So it's entirely possible I'm still a member which does, you know, I'll be honest with you, Devin, that doesn't bother me at all, even though I am an Episcopalian. Uh, I was going to share this a little later, but I can tell you there is a, a, a podcaster named Gina Colvin, I think is her name, and she is someone who just went through, a, I think she lives in New Zealand, and she just went through a disciplinary process because of her joining the Episcopal Church. It's also referred to the Anglican Church in other places. And she said, I'm both and I'm happy. And she was not removed from her church. So from the LDS church. So there you go. Uh, but while I was living in Salt Lake City, I've, <clears throat> I started again my uh, undergraduate up. I got my bachelor's degree in history from the U. Uh, I started working at American Express. Uh, I started dating my boss, uh, which was an interesting thing, and we ended up getting married. And uh, that's my beautiful wife, and uh, our son was born. This all happened in Salt Lake City. Uh, but by that time, I was gone from the church uh, in the sense that I wasn't going to it. A couple, maybe a couple years or maybe a year before I left Salt Lake, um, I walked into an Episcopal, the Cathedral Church of St. Mark, which is the Episcopal Cathedral in downtown Salt Lake City. It's like on 2nd th South or 1st mm -hmm. South, I don't know which one. And I was blown away. I was so moved. 
and it just it was like I was walking into home my home and I don't know if you know anything about Anglicanism but Anglicanism of which the Episcopal Church is a part has as one of its fundamental tenets that uh, reason is a part of faith uh, it's called the, it's, there's three pillars of faith in the Episcopal Church. It is not difficult to be an Episcopalian and to be a member of another church or believe in uh, other things. Uh, there's no litmus test per se. Uh, it is an incredibly welcoming environment that's always been my experience. So that's what I experienced and it was in, in downtown Salt Lake. Uh, so then I graduated from the U I applied to law schools. I got in at Ohio State and many others, but I, Lori, my wife and I chose to come to Columbus and go to Ohio State, which I did, finished my law degree there, and then got a, an offer to come to my hometown and uh, be involved in a firm, and I'm here, still here. So Anglican is easier for me to say, so I think I'll stick with that for, <laughs> okay. for the moment. Um, yeah, yeah. But so when you are deciding to like join, do you, so no one sits down with you and like runs the lessons by you or like, what's the process of being, oh, it like, certainly becoming isn't a process like it is to join the LDS church oh. uh, in, um, it's, it's certainly not like that. And like I said about the litmus test kind of thing, obviously there's some core fundamental beliefs, but those are more creedal. There's some basic beliefs that you have. Um, but no, it was a just an interface with a wonderful priest who ended up recommending me, and then the bishop receives you. There was some real question when I joined the Episcopal Church, and this is about, gosh, probably over 20 years now, um, that I might have to be baptized again. Uh, I was, I didn't mention this, but I grew up in the United Methodist Church. I grew up as a churchgoer. And I had been baptized as an infant. Then, of course, I was baptized into the Mormon Church by immersion. And then the question came, do I have to be re-baptized? Because I, I had been Mormonized in that period of time. Uh, and the Bishop of Ohio decided that I did not need to be uh, and w allowed me to be received into the Episcopal Church as is without having to go through any steps, which I really appreciated. Mm -hmm. I wasn't really in the mood to to do something crazy, but um, I, I've been home ever since. Now, unfortunately, our local church here closed, and that's what forced me to hasn't forced me but i really don't want to go drive long distances so i've been the church organist in the lutheran church here but um love it absolutely love it uh there's so many parallels I'll, I'll be honest with you i don't know if all my lutheran congregants know this but i'll throw in lds hymns once in a while during a church service what doesn't know doesn't hurt them what they don't know doesn't hurt them and um when I played on the on the organ at, in the Tabernacle in Salt Lake, I may have played a hymn from the you know the hymns that I'm used to at the Lutheran Church. Mm. They didn't care. I mean, they wouldn't care. So, um, 
there you go. So you can actually, you can play one of those big organs like by yourself or do you need, because sometimes you'll see more than one person kind of jamming out on one. And so you know, do you have assistance? I, that doesn't happen too often, Devin. No, maybe, I, maybe. <laughs> I don't know where I'm getting my information from. I'm a... <laughs> I don't know either, but I will tell you that you sit down at that particular organ, which is one of the largest ones in the United States, and it looks like you're sitting in it like an airplane console with a million lights and buttons and everything else. And I got a really, believe it or not, there's a, a, a missionary, there are, uh, what do you call the missionaries that are older? Uh, uh, the senior missionaries? See, yeah, there you go. The, there's a pair of senior missionaries, husband and wife, that are in charge of the organ and the organist in the tabernacle. And they were the nicest people in the entire world. And they kind of gave me a quick how-to, because every organ is different than every other organ. So I got to do that, and then I got to climb in the pipes. I got to go back into the pioneer pipes in the organ and got, uh, climb all the way through that and explore it. They could not have been sweeter. They could not have been more receptive. And I had such a blast. And it's just because I knew it was one of my mission companions. Um, his He happened to be friends with a professor in the BYU system who was a f great friend of the principal tabernacle organist, and that's how that happened. Oh, man, that's really neat. Like, um, I, I think about that a lot lately. Like, sometimes I want to go back to uh, Utah because it's been a couple of years like right with my current um mindset like you know i'm not yeah, I'm not, yeah. Jaded, I'm not bitter just to like i you know really uh, experience some of the things that i missed out on like uh the cathedral of the madeline or whatever which is kind of close yeah, i've been in there yeah um you know that i went in there a couple of times very beautiful very peaceful place just to kind of sit if you can catch it right. by yourself but one of my favorite um tattoo shops in salt lake is over by the cathedral the Anglican one. The, I forget the name of it. The Cathedral Church of St. Mark. Yeah. Of, yeah. Um, and I was, it looks kind of like a, a Spanish to me or something like that on the outside. Is that, okay. the one is that the one I'm thinking of? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It is. I can see why you would say that. Okay. Yeah. I always wanted to go in there, but I never. Oh, well, you should. Did. It's yeah, beautiful. Yeah, if it's I find, not the largest one in the world, but yeah. it's beautiful. If I find myself uh, in Salt Lake City, I'll definitely pop in there because. Uh, you know, I wouldn't consider myself religious or anything in any way currently, but okay, just having a, you know, you do something in you craves like a quiet place of meditation right. and serenity or something like mm -hmm. that. And a beautiful cathedral is a great place to do it. Well, um, it was one of those places, Deva, that helped me, as I told you, I was having a crisis of faith. It was actually something that brought me, helped bring me back. Uh, those finding those quiet spaces uh rejoicing in those quiet spaces and then coming to realize my own definition of faith that i have now which is basically that church going in faith is what i refer to as collective hope it's it's reaching out to others and having them reach out to you yeah. in this in all focused on hope for something better and it works for me it always has worked for me since then. And in that context, I I really have no animosity towards the church. I I respect it. I don't respect everything that I have to be honest. I don't respect everything they do. 
Um, I have little respect for positions on on uh, some of their positions on women, uh, on same-sex issues, uh, the policy that was announced for children of same-sex couples. Uh, I am a relatively frequent listener to John DeLynn's Mormon Matters podcast, so I'm aware of the issue of uh, uh, bishops talking to minor children on sexual issues. Um, I'm so proud to be associated with it, uh, except for that element of it. And that's really, a, to a large extent, a post-1960 kind of element of the church. It wasn't always that way. So you, um, you found this faith in the grips of your former faith crisis, correct? Or was, it, was there a decent amount of time in between? No, there wasn't a decent amount of time in between. Kind there really just, wasn't. Just one to the other. Yeah, my wife had been raised in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, which is the most conservative sect of the Lutheran Church. And uh show you how conservative it was until a handful of years ago, women were not allowed to vote in congregational meetings. Uh, that's pretty conservative mm -hmm. um but she was she was like me she was she wasn't into the 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 weeds of of dogma and, mm -hmm. and especially of policy and uh so and i had met her there and that helped lead me out of that too so uh, all these things sort of coalesced around each other and helped bring me out mm -hmm. and helped orient me back towards a life of faith mm. and allowed me to get to a place where I could even think about going back to a church and like being active in it. That was a big step for me. Mm. Um, I've not been to an LDS church service since I left Salt Lake, but I would be, I, it's on my bucket list. Mm. Um, I want to go back. Mm. I want to, I want to experience it again. Um, and I will someday. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hopefully uh, all this craziness doesn't last too, too, too much longer. <laughs> For sure. For sure. But, um, you know, I always kind of uh, end by asking um, if the guest has any sort of advice that they would share with someone in the, the midst of, a, of their faith crisis. Um, do you have any advice that you could offer someone who might just be well, in the early stages of know, leaving the church? I will tell you, Devin, I have a lot of commiseration mm. for them. I have a lot of empathy for them. Uh, but it's my experience, and then having experienced others that are in the middle of faith crisis, that it's so personal, mm. so profoundly personal, that for me to assume that I had the magic answer for somebody else, I think is a real step that I'm not willing to take. Mm. Uh, that said, uh, I, I think it's funny enough mentioning what we were talking about before, trying to find those spaces where you can have time to contemplate and think uh, without the stressors of, of everyday life. Uh, I think that uh, uh, friends and family, 
course, that's difficult. If you're in an LDS family, a strong LDS, I wasn't. Mm-hmm. You know, I was a convert. So my family still is no, I have no, my brother eventually joined the church, but he left. Uh, and like I had mentioned before, Mormon Matters podcast, uh, there's a Thoughtful Faith podcast. There's lots of podcasts where people who have been through the journey that you're going through will share their personal experiences. Uh, I said everything is so incredibly personal with these journeys, but at the same time, I'll listen to a podcast and I'll listen to someone, one of yours, in fact, uh, that I was listening to to get ready for this one. I heard someone talking about their experience of being a convert and being in the MTC as a convert. And I went, oh my gosh, I know that experience. Uh, or like, we haven't talked about it, but when you mentioned to me and reaching out to me for this discussion, um, that you have dreams of, of being uh, on a mission again and and not being able to get out of it. I have those dreams all the time. I still have them many, many, many years after I've left the church and le- left my mission. And I don't know what causes it, but I know what that feeling is when I'm in my dream and I sense that, uh-huh. that I'm trapped and I can't get out. And it's, 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 anyway, it's what I'm just suggesting is it's incredibly personal, this journey that these people are through that you're referencing. So what you want to do is listen to many, as many experiences as you can. You're not going to find anyone who's exactly like you. That's normal. But you're going to find people who you can take this from that person, that from the other person, and you can build some sort of framework work for me i hear it all the time when i listen to these podcasts you know what i'm gonna say probably some of the best advice you can give somebody is um just eat the grapes the grapes on the side of the road of the bordeaux of your life you you let the sun shine on your body and you eat those grapes and it'll work out (laughs) you do you can get it's it's fun there was a something going around in the mission field about what do you do? The real, true, zealous missionary will be the person that stops the bike at the at the stoplight where there's no cars around in your middle of the field. You know that kind of thing. I'm the kind of guy that if those grapes are there, I'm going to have some. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not going to get all bent out of shape about it. Mm-hmm. And I dare say, honestly, I don't want to equate myself with the man, but. That's what Joseph Smith would have done. You know, that guy was, that guy had a crazy side to him. Yeah. You know, yeah, if he so saw something he, he, he wanted, he, he definitely took it. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's unfortunately, yeah, some aspects yeah, so that was I, so yeah, don't, positive. Yeah. You're not equated with him. Uh, I think I like it much better. I think uh, everybody else will enjoy you much more. As okay. Well. Okay. But um, is there anything? Uh, before we get out of here, is there anything else you wanted to share? No, I I don't think so. I I, I think we've had an interesting journey here. Um, I just want to reach out to you and say thanks because it uh, it's so odd for someone in small town Ohio on any basis to have the opportunity to talk about this topic. Because you have to find, number one, someone's had experienced it. Mm. And then you've got to find someone who isn't going to be uh, 
bent out of shape that you want to be open about it and talk about it in a not a clinical context but a broad context and even be critical when being critical is appropriate uh, that's really tough um, and in the other words I know I don't you know this is going to be on uh, who knows where uh, that some of my buddies in the field mission field will hear this so I just wanted to tell you how wonderful it is to have strong LDS friends um, they mean a lot to me and um, uh, I just wanted to reach out to them and say hey there you go <laughs> perfect man well uh thank you for agreeing to come on and share your story yeah um i found it very fascinating and um, i hope you enjoyed your time um sure. but yeah this will go out in uh, like a week or two about two weeks and i'll send you the link okay. and you can you can check okay. it out all right sounds great Devin. thank, thank you. you have a great night Focal Point Podcast for the Focal Point Cinema and Sound Company.